0: And welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host Spencer Martin, author of the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. This week we are going over Liége-Bastogne-Liége. Remco Evenepoel's pretty fantastic win there. I'll talk about um, how he did that when everyone knew exactly what was coming. It's still shocking to me that that happened. Um, What it means for his career. This is this is a big win for him. This is uh, I, I won't say needed because a 22 year old winning a monument is really impressive and we shouldn't say like, oh, he he had to win this or he's a bust, but he is probably the most famous writer in Belgium, definitely a superstar of the sport. And he hadn't had like any major, I would say major, major victories before this. So this is a big win for him. It's about what it means for his career going forward, what type of writer he can be in the future. Oddly, like years into his career, we don't we don't really know what he is or like what he should specialize going forward. So that's pretty interesting. And I'll talk a little bit of Tour of the Alps where Thibaut Pino finally won after just under three years since his last win. So that was that was exciting for people. Miguel Angol Lopez also won the stage before, uh, ruining Pino's chance of winning. I'll talk a little bit about that. that, that that was like, he looked good, but it was odd that he was not riding for the GC. Same, same thing with Pinot, that that should be a race where they're both competing for the GC. And then Tour de Romandie, which is going on this week before leading us into the Giro d'Italia. I'll talk a little bit about that. Stage one is going on right now. So hopefully that finishes up before I get there. And if you want to support the podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter. I'll put a link in the show notes. So Liege-Bastogne-Liege, Remco-Evendipol wins. This is a big race. This is a hard race. It's a monument. I, it, it's been a lot better since they changed the course in 2019. It used to finish up the Col de la San nicolas in a random suburb called Ons. In theory, that's exciting. It finishes on a steep climb. It did not, it just did nothing for me. Um, the, the steep finish meant that people would just sit and wait until, to attack until that final bit. Uh, there was really, I just found it to be no, there was like almost no suspense in the finale. And you'd get a lot of. I mean, it was like so. If someone won Liege in the past, it meant they were like going to get a doping suspension soon after. That has not helped its reputation. And you could say you could point to like another long monument, like Milano San Remo, where nothing really happens out on course. Everything's condensed to two climbs at the end. That's kind of what the the new Liege course is. Um, which, which is like not great, but it's definitely better than the, the old one where there wasn't even really that it didn't build to, um, kind of an exciting final 30 kilometers like both Liege and Milano San Remo have. So the, the route change has been big. I, I think the race is much better now, much stronger product. And it sets up this, it's this interesting chase between the group and a solo rider. Jakob Folk won one here, the first year of the new route. It's like a new old, I say new route. They changed it back to the route that it was like before 1982 or something like that but i'll just call it the new route but Jakob full when they changed it back in 2019 won solo and then 2020 and 2021 were won in groups by uh, primos roglic and then tare pogacar the fact that neither of those riders were here probably contributed to another solo win where if you just don't have that firepower in the group behind it's going to be harder to pull that rider back. And this course is, I really thought this, this addition, I did kind of left me a little flat afterwards because it felt like it, the race is just so hard. Um, it's like hard to overstate how difficult this is. It's in the Arden mountain range. I guess it's like a subalpine mountain range and, and Belgium, Germany and Luxembourg, but the race takes place in Belgium. There's no, like, you wouldn't watch this and think like, Oh my God, this is so hard. Look at these hard climbs. They're shortish climbs. Like a few kilometers long at the most, but it's just all day. It's something like 16,000 feet of elevation gain throughout the whole race. It is absolutely brutal. But what this means is not much happens. Like, you know, you really just want to sit in the group as much as you can. It's a race of attrition more than anything. It's not a race of attacking like uh, Paris-Roubaix or, or even Tour of Flanders where, you know, at Paris-Roubaix, we saw attacks going like 210 kilometers from the finish. Um, the flat parkour lends itself to that where you know, you're not going to die if you attack 200k at, Paris, at 200 kilometers out of Paris Roubaix. If you do that at the age, you're not going to win the race. It's just too difficult. And you need to stay in the group and conserve as much energy um, as much as humanly possible until the final 30 kilometers. Um, and that's exactly how Rimko Evinapol won this race. The I'll mention. I won't mention much before the final 30k, but I will mention at 59 kilometers ago there was this. There's been a lot of I've of have been having a back and forth with like a former prominent member of cycling authority i shall say and you know there's just been a lot of like chatter of like they've got to get rid of the poggio it's too dangerous we can't have riders going down these dangerous descents if you look at the poggio the the final uh, downhill at milano san Remo, i don't think there's ever been like a serious mass crash on that you know the technical descents can sometimes be safer they can look horrifying and like a single rider can slide out but they they don't they're not as dangerous as these long like straight descents we were getting at Liège and um you, you when the tours come to wallonia I remember what year it was like 2016 it was that massive crash where Fabian Cancellara broke his vertebrae outside of I think it was outside of flesh and they were finishing up the Moduie on that stage so you get these long they're kind of it happens at the tour too even if you remember the Metz massacre. A few years ago these long straight descents are incredibly dangerous um you know we saw that as at the mets massacre that was a few years ago at the tour de france it was very similar to this where it's these long straight downhills everyone's going so fast and it's so easy to to like bunch up and try to overtake there's a climb coming right after this descent so everyone wants to be at the front you know there's not much to be done as, as far as like a racer safety Question: There's not much to be done here other than telling people don't go to the front. Which why would you not try to win the race? And yeah, there was just a huge one. Rider goes down, like gets pushed off the road, and it was just a massive crash. It was it was terrifying to watch. It was like one of these things where you definitely don't want to see this in a race. Um, Julian fleet probably ended up the worst. He really got tossed off the road into some trees. Apparently, he's still in the hospital. He has a collapsed lung um broken scapula maybe two broken ribs the i i would also tell anyone to like take any type of medical news with a massive grain of salt and cycling like egan bernal was like dead as far as we knew and now he's in europe training and might race against it again this year Julian and philippe all the word after the race was he's fine he's fine he'll probably race the tour Um, he's still in the hospital so that's really concerning um i I don't know what's going on there i guess it makes sense if you have a collapsed lung to be in the hospital for a few days i I don't i'm not not quite sure though i know like cj McCollum had a collapsed lung earlier this year and he was like playing games soon after that so i'm not quite sure what's happening with Adolf philippe i don't want to say too much about his medical condition because obviously i don't know anything takeaways are the crash was horrible but i'm not quite sure if there's anything to be done about it and i saw some theories for why this is becoming more common and my first question would be is this actually becoming more common do we have data on how many bad crashes there were in the past let's assume it is you know I, I would guess like the aero equipment like the wheels and the bikes are so much in the helmet specifically and jerseys and bib shorts are so much faster now than they used to be that um, riders are like building up a bigger you know a higher speed on these long descents and it allows them to bunch up more another thing is the salaries are just higher where if you're getting paid a hundred thousand euros a year by your sponsor it's not as easy to be quote unquote as respectful um as, as you were in the past where you'd be like oh yeah take my wheel that's, that's what all the old guys talk about like oh the peloton's lost its respect but if you just think about it from like a game theory perspective why would you ever be respectful like why would you ever give anyone a wheel people who win races never give anyone wheels they're just ruthless so if everyone's out there feeling the pressure to win because the money is bigger there's probably going to be more crashes um i guess you could just lower everyone's salary you could just get rid of sponsors that that might help but that's not going to happen that that's not re- you're not living in reality if you think that's an option i i fear there's not much to be done um except just keep in mind that it's just this is da- i don't think people understand how much dangerous these long straight descents are versus like a technical descent where everyone starts screaming like their hair's on fire like oh this is so dangerous we got to take these out of the sport it was like well a long, there's nothing more dangerous than cycling than like a long straight road because um, I can tell you it's, it's terrifying to be in there. you're going super fast. If one thing goes wrong, a hundred people could be on the ground. But tactically, an interesting thing happened after this crash. Quickstep was really controlling the race before it. They had Alaphilippe in the crash, so they back off. Um, they've lost some firepower after this. Bahrain comes to the front. Um, I still have no idea what they're doing. A, this looks bad. like there's a huge crash, so you send your whole team to the front to keep everyone who crashed off the back it's just not a good look and i don't know what they gained from it i think they thought they were putting evanopol under pressure for dylan tunes it's still not totally clear who they were riding for dylan tunes finished the highest out of their team i'm not quite sure if they were really treating him as a protected rider though maybe madame motoric but and then they start attacking with 43k to go like Mika landa is launching attacks he launches like six attacks okay that that looks awesome but what is this accomplishing? You know, he's marked by Quickstep every time. Wout pulls eventually does get away, but Quickstep really isn't that troubled, and they just kind of quickly get a rider on the front to pull him back. The only people they're putting in trouble with these attacks are Domestique. No favorites are being put under under pressure. You know, maybe Wout Van Aert, who we saw crack a little bit at the end, but still finished on the podium. It's possible that Wout was in their heads so much that they were just doing these attacks to hurt Wout. All, but what I would say is where you're going to hurt Wout and where you're going to hurt Rimco is not leading into Labradu with 33k to go it's on Labradu and it's on the final climb it's not these climbs leading into it because what happens is they use all this energy Mika Land is attacking a ton really accomplishing nothing while Poles is attacking a ton they get to Labradu they're they're not even at the front they're just sitting at the back or sitting you know they're sitting in the group while Quickstep is riding like an I wouldn't say easy tempo, tempo, but just a steady tempo up La which is 100% what you don't want to happen because this is where Remco Evanipol. We've seen him struggle all year on hard climbs. Apparently, he's six kilograms overweight, which is is really crazy to man. That's a lot. That's like 15 pounds. So I'm I'm not sure if that's true. It wouldn't make sense as to why he struggled climbing this year. But assuming that's true, and even if even if it's not six kilograms, he's just not been a great climber this year. So if you're looking at this and you're Bahrain, you're thinking, well, that we should go hard on the climb because that's where we can drop Evanapol. They don't do that. They sit back and not only did they sit back, they they play this all wrong. There's a screenshot in my post from Monday where Evanapol is sitting just about first wheel. He's like riding side by side with the teaming on the front. Um, It looks goofy because you're like, well, you don't want to be on the front in bike racing, right? Well, in this situation, you do. You have Danny Martinez riding his wheel, Danny Martinez and Nielsen Palace. And then you have this strange formation where. Bahrain has two riders in front of Dylan Toons behind them, which in any other scenario is good. You want to be behind your teammates. And then Wout Van Aert is right behind him. Valverde is buried a little bit too far back, in my opinion. I'm not quite sure what he was doing. He might, maybe he was just on the limit from the attacks. What this allows to happen is the pace is so slow in the climb, when they get to the top with 29k to go, Evanapol just blows away i mean this attack was it was really impressive seriously impressive he just rips right around his teammate uses a teammate it's kind of a slingshot um the fact that the road is flattening and going into a downhill i mean this is like it, i could have told you this is exactly where evan is going to attack he's not a great climber but if he can get up and over the climb he can attack on the false flat at the top and use the downhill he uses arrow advantage on the downhill to rip away um you need to be right on his wheel and nielsen palace is i mean credit to nielsen he he responds immediately. He responds in the way that everyone else needed to be responding. Unfortunately, I mean, Nielsen Palace, probably not the same caliber of rider that Ebenapol is at this moment, even though Nielsen's very good. Another thing that I think a problem for Nielsen is he's much bigger I and mean, he's a tall guy. So he wasn't getting any, really any draft from Ebenapol. So even if Ebenapol putting out like a similar wattage to him, he can drop him even though Palace is on his wheel. That's kind of the genius of, of Ebenapol's move right here. But when we look, there's an, I have like another little video clip where Palace is getting dropped about mm, like a few hundred meters later. You see the group behind. There's not enough urgency in that group. You know, this is the point. If they don't close him back right here, they can't get him because he's such a good time trialist that if he pulls out 10 meters, you have to pull it back right there because once he gets 30 meters, it's not coming back because that 30 meters is going to turn into a kilometer really quick, which is exactly what happened. But to come back to Toons being behind his teammates, Mika Landis on the front almost looks like he's blocking for Ebenapol. It's really shocking to me. There's no urgency in Landis' pedal stroke. Toons has to almost go off the road to blow around his own teammate. And once he's done this, it, the game's already over because he's used a massive effort just to get to the front of the peloton. And then he still has you know 10 to 15 meters to Ebenapol. He's not going to be able to close that. He needed to be on Ebenapol's wheel without his teammates in the way uh i'm not, i have no idea what they were thinking riding in that formation with him stuck behind two teammates it was completely it's like the right call 99% of the time it was the wrong call here and it really cost them the race and another another major mistake is you know evanapol i have another screenshot with 28k to go it's still within touching distance you still could pull him back right here if you had enough teammates the problem is bahrain just used their whole team to attack. So Mika Landa, who just launched six attacks earlier, has to go to the front here and do a one on one time trial with Rimko Evanopol. I mean, how do you think that's gonna go? Evanopol's one of the best time trials in the world. Landa's one of the worst. And Evanopol's been sitting in and fresh this whole time, and Landa's been attacking. So right there, I mean that's that's not going to work. This is exactly what Quick Step wanted. I mean, and, and credits to Quick Step for playing this perfectly. And and you are right after the screenshot, there's another screenshot of Landa going to the front to pull. Um, really mind-blowing stuff. I'm not sure what was going through their head here. If they didn't see this coming, they were so worried about Wout. And Wout is sitting, he's, he's lurking menacingly in like third or fourth place this whole time. Perhaps everyone in that group is thinking, well, why would we pull, Evan a pull back if Wout's just going to win the sprint and Wout should have to do the work. But the problem is Wout doesn't have any teammates at this point. And as we know from the following climb, Wout is not doing well because he gets dropped the next climb. So for that to happen, Jumbo would have needed to get multiple riders up and over Labradute. I, I won't go through this blow by blow because it's all in the post. I'll put that link in the show notes. But the next big mistake is they get to the final climb. Evanapol, who would have been vulnerable in this climb, is able to ride up at a, up and over at his own pace, which he's very good at. And the Peloton just kind of loafs up. I mean, Mofei starts on the front like Riding a pedestrian pace, and it's 34 seconds on the steepest part of the climb. If they wanted to pull him back, they needed to do it right there. He'd probably need to put 10 seconds into him on this steep portion and then close that, the last bit down when they get to the top. You know, it gets down at the very top of the climb. Dylan Toon's attacks, it's down to 18 seconds at one point, but it needed to be 18 seconds at the start of the climb for them to have a chance. Because, you know, once they're up and over, And and Ebenapol has any type of gap. It goes back to advantage Ebenapol. You know, he's a, a very good time trialist and B, he's riding by himself. So he doesn't have to convince anyone to work for him. Whereas everyone in the chase group, there's only one team with two riders, which is Israel startup or Israel premier Premier tech. Um, That's, that's wild that they got two riders over those climbs when no one else did. Uh, But they weren't really working to pull him back. I'm not quite sure what they were doing. They needed points. They probably should have been. Attacking the group one by one to try to get second place since they need those points to stay in the world tour um, th- That's another topic though, you know And there's a screenshot with 8.6k to go where evident going 55 kilometers an hour and the chase groups going 47 kilometers an hour um, it's at 25 seconds at this point, but you know, Vlasov goes around pretty good attack from Vlasov. Actually. I, I like to see that and But once that's happening, it- it's game over now once the chase group is launching solo attacks Um, It's just going to be that start stop pace. You're not going to have this to to reel someone in at 55k an hour. Presumably, you have to go faster than 55k an hour sustained. And you're not going to be able to do that attacking one by one. So Evan, wins the race fairly easily. Starts celebrating 2.5 kilometers an out. I um, have never seen that before. That's like really shows some bravado and cockiness. As long as he's winning, that's great. If he is never not winning, that could be a problem. And then Quentin Hermans gets second in the sprint over Wout Van Aert. Wout Van Aert was dropped on the final climb and then came back with 7K to go. Um, probably doomed to the group because once Van Aert was in the group, everyone's assuming, well, he's just going to win the sprint. So why would we do any work to pull in Evanapol? It's game over. And oddly, Quentin Hermans said, ah, yeah, no, maybe I'll get second place. Um, I, I didn't see, frankly, I didn't see Quentin Hermans all day. I have no idea where he came from, but super impressive ride. He's on Intermarche. He's 26, a little old. Someone in the comments said he was, he's like a really, really good cross rider. So it's like not surprising to get second here. I would push back and say, that's still really impressive. Like think how good Matthew Vanderpool potentially the best cyclocross rider of all time and the best he's ever finished year six. So getting second is a serious result. Like really, like, I, I feel like this was underplayed to get second at the age kind of out of nowhere, at least in the, in a road racing sense. It's really shocking. You know, Wout Van Aert and Matthew Vanderpool have never finished that high here before. So, you know, maybe this was a fluke ride from him, but Intermarche has just shown race after race that they can just find these really talented riders and more impressively than find them, you know, foster them into getting really, really good results. I mean, it's like Germain at Gen Volkham. This is, it's really, really impressive from Intermarche. Um, even if Quentin Hermans never goes on to get another result, this is like a career making result. So good for him. Wout gets third. I think a lot of people were disappointed. He was like, a, he was by far the biggest pre-race favorite. I said in my preview that that didn't make any sense because he's never done the race before. This race doesn't suit him. And according to my count, no rider since Eddie Merckx in 1975 finished on the podium at both Roubaix and Liège in the same year. So that's crazy that the betting market was assuming that Wout Van Aert would win. I don't think anyone. You know, perhaps, perhaps Pino or Merckx. Did it. I mean, certainly no one in the modern era has ever won both Roubaix and Liege. So that's crazy that they would assume he would be able to not only just podium at both, but win one of them while podium at the other. That being said, super impressive on Wout's part. I mean, to, to podium at both of those races, it, it shows almost a mind blowing vers- versatility that we don't see in the modern Peloton. He hasn't, I guess, didn't have the spring that some people thought he should. He's definitely struggling to win that big monument, but. Um, he already has, you know, three major wins so far this year. He won Omloop and E3, so two semi classics, uh, podium at Roubaix, podium at Liège. Pretty impressive. Um, yeah, obviously, it'd be nice to see him winning more monuments. So we'll just have to wait and see. I, I will say, on Jumbo-Visma, they have to be disappointed with this. Just this entire classics run. I mean, they had an amazing off season. They came into Paris-Nice looking like the strongest team in the world. We were saying, oh, it's game over. Jumbo's the strongest team this spring. They're going to win everything. Well, they hate really, all their top results. You know, they had a few Tadej Banuč results and a few Kristoff Laporte results, but their biggest results this spring are wins at Omloop E3, podiums at two monuments. Those are all Wout results. It's you know, you, you look at it by the end of the classics, and you think, were, are they any better off than they were last year when they were a mediocre classics team? Wout was isolated in key moments of these races, and was really responsible for most of the results. So super disappointing how that spring played out for Yumbo, especially when we think about where it started. Also weird the classics are over. That's another weird thing to think about. Um Quick Step, who's had just a terrible spring. The worst spring in their in the history of their team, I mean this is a spring saving result for them. Potentially season saving result. Um it gets tough from here on out with, with Julian Al Philippe potentially out for the rest of the year. I don't still don't quite know what's going on with that. But it's hard to imagine him being back when he stages the tour of France. So it's going to be the Rimco train from here on out. I don't even think Rimco's is doing the tour though. So it could get really dicey for them from this point forward. So this is a really big result for that team. Oddly, they, they know they're a cobble team. They've been a cobble team pretty much the whole time they've been around. They look like a better Ardennes team now. You know Their best two riders in one day is our Julian Alaphilippe and Remco Evenepoel. Those are blue chip Ardennes riders. They don't have Outside of Casper Ascarin, I don't think they have another blue chip cobbled rider. You know, rider who really could be a favorite going into a major cobbled classic. So it will be in- in- interesting to see if they go into a more Ardennes focus going forward. And then that brings us to Evanepole. This win is big, as I said up top. You know, he's won before this. I think three World Tour races in his career. That's not a ton. Um, he's only twenty two, but a lot of 22-year-olds with more World Tour wins than that. I think Taddy Pogacar, who's just a few months older than him, has like 18 World Tour wins. So certainly good, but perhaps not matching his level of fame and, and hype. I'd say this is his biggest win since the 2019 San Sebastian, which is big. You know, Both of those wins are big, but I think this was his first real stamp of authority since his crash at the 2020 Il Lombardia. I don't think... I've actually thought he had been regressing since that, which sounds crazy because he's, he's had good results. He won a stage race this year, but he didn't do it with the same flair that he did in 2019 and 2020. So, you know, he looked strong and, and you know, even more than his strength, you know, I, people were saying like, well, I was saying he was the strongest rider in the race and that's why he won. I was really impressed with his with his patience and timing. You know, that's something he has not had in the past. If you think of the World Championships, he's out on the front like with 100K to go. Like, what is he doing? That's not going to work. You look at the European Road Championships last year where he broke away with just Sonny Cabrelli sitting on his wheel and pulled him to a win. Um, you know, if, if I was Bahrain, that would have been my tactic again with Dylan Toons. I'm not quite sure why that wasn't the tactic. They should have just followed. And then when Evanipol attacked to get Dylan Toons right on his wheel and then let Evan and Paul pull you to the finish line and you can beat him in the sprint because he's a very poor sprinter. But the fact that he he had such a small window to win this race, he he needed to attack about right where he did. He needed that attack to work. If that attack doesn't work right there, it gets really sticky for him because then he has like a valley between Labrador and the final climb. And, you know, he's probably not gonna be able to drop them on the final climb. It's not a climb that suits him. So this was really really important for him and he stuck this perfectly and quick step really did a good job i actually think Alaphilippe crashing out helped their tactics a little bit it simplified the tactics to the point where they just had to follow and it kind of goaded bahrain into getting to the front and doing all the work for them of softening up the race but not softening it up so much that they they you know, couldn't ride a hard pace on laverdue you know it, it worked out perfectly for quipset quickstep and and the fact that Ebenapol was just willing to sit there and just wait until that one moment, you know, really, he really had a one shot here and he, he made it work and he made it stick. And I was super impressed with his patience. That's my big takeaway here is like, obviously we know he's strong. Like everyone knows he's strong. Like it's hard. It's impossible to watch any race that he's ever done and come away with any um, takeaway other than while he's really good at riding a bike, he's quite strong and fast, especially by himself. What he hasn't had is racecraft and timing, and he showed both of them really, 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 really well here. Um, kind of look at like a different Evanepole. You know, where does he go from here? You know, is he a one-day racer? I think the thing when you look at a lot of like pretty much every one-day racer and stage hunter, like um, yeah, Julian Alaphilippe, Jakob Folsang, Alejandro Valverde, they have a punch. You know, they can win if they have to in a sprint. Evanepole does not have that. He has to win every race solo how does that work you know you know he he made it work here everyone knew it was coming they couldn't stop it you know maybe he can make a career out of that i don't see it especially as such a good time trials it seems like he's a gc rider and i you know this result you know it's like taj vanuute when he won i believe it was a 2016 shot of bianchi people were and oh he's a one day this guy is the next one-day star. Well, that's the last one-day race he really won because he has no sprint and he has to win everything solo. And it's hard it's hard to win one race solo, it's harder to win the second race solo, it's even harder to win the third race solo. It's just not a recipe for sustained success. success. And with his ability to time trial and you know climb at the right weight, it makes no sense that he can't climb. Um, that is, you know, a good performance specialist could get in there and fix that because he is such good even if he doesn't have like the sustained power of Pagachar or, or Filippo Ghana, I mean, he's so light that he doesn't need to put out that much power. And if you think of the Tour de France, a lot of the climbs are drafting climbs. I think one thing we're seeing is like the aero revolution. Like everyone was obsessed with weight five years ago. Now, you know, having pulls so arrow on the road bike, he could sit in a group on a tough Tour de France climb and get a significant draft. And the speeds are so high on these climbs, you know, six, 7% climb, you're still getting a good draft on there. So it doesn't make any sense that he wouldn't be a GC star in the future, you know, unless it's just not his mentality. But um, I think I've said this before, that Quickstep only has one really significant stage race win in their entire career as a team. If he wants to develop as a stage racer, he has to leave Quickstep. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that team is just not built for stage racing. As we saw at the tour of the Basque Country, he was leading out Julian Alaphilippe in the first few stages, burning massive amounts of energy, and then he loses the race by a few seconds because he's too tired on the funnel climb. Well, if he wouldn't have spent all that energy leading out a teammate for sprints, he probably would have won the race overall. Just that type of behavior shows you that. Quickstep's never going to be a stage racing team, and if he wants to fulfill his potential as a stage racer, he has to leave the team. I mean, Jumbo would be a perfect team for him, actually. Um, I don't know if there's a special relationship between him and Patrick Lefebvre at Quickstep. I don't know if I ever see him leaving, but if he wants to win stage races, he has to leave. One one thing I'll I'll mention before we leave this topic is, this, this, as I said, it's hard to win as a solo rider. The pushback on that would be It's never been a better time to be a solo rider. I mean, this is, we saw Roubaix one solo, Liege one solo. There's more solo winners than ever. These chase groups cannot get their stuff together. I can't quite figure it out. And perhaps it's because the stakes of winning are so high that no one wants to work with another team. You know, it used to be in the past, maybe you do a little bit of work, you get some cash at the end of the race, you build some goodwill, get paid back later. Now these wins are worth so much. For the teams and the riders that it's like no i'm not going to work for you why, why would i you know 50,000 cash like get that out of my face you know this this win is going to be worth potentially seven figures and a bonus in my contract so I, I that means nothing to me so you know perhaps it's that it's perhaps teams are just smarter riders are smarter and i think if i pull in this chase group i'm going to lose so why would i pull and then no one pulls but it's definitely never been a better time to be the first attacker we've seen in a lot of these races over and over and over again, the first attacker, the first guy to get a serious break in the final, in the finale of a race wins the race. Um, that isn't to say just anyone can attack. You know, I talked to Larry Warbus recently, who was saying, you know, everyone's just like, well, just attack from hundred K out. Why don't you'll win? Well, you have to have the motor to do that. And not many people do. So a select group of riders that can do it, but we've seen like Matej motorich is building a career out of winning solo, which is a very hard way to win. But he's he's making it work. You know, he's a stage hunter and a in a one day rider who is having decent results. I mean, I'd say very good results, winning solo. But the thing with Matej motorich is he's never going to be. You know, he won one monument this year. He'll probably win a Tour de France stage, and that's going to be a good year for him. I think he won two last year, two Tour stages. That's that's an incredible year. Um, it's just a very difficult way to get significant results, and Evanapol is so, so famous, um, especially in Belgium, that I don't think, I think the expectations are higher than they are for Maté Motoric, and, you know, a, a podium at the Tour de France or a win at the Giro d'Italia would mean more to, to his career than winning two Tour de France stages, in my opinion. I could be wrong. But a Belgian Grand Tour winner, oof, that person would be, would make a lot of money that country hasn't had a grand tour winner for a long time all right so two things i'll touch on before i go is tour of the alps was running last week uh kind of a forgettable race it's, it's a beautiful part of the world maybe my favorite part of the world through uh t-roll and south t-roll in austria and italy um a yeah, weak field this year you know normally it's like a lot of the top zero contenders, or has been in years past have been duking it out there. This year it was won by Roman Bardet. Big win for him. I think it's only his second GC win of his career, first since 2013. Um, he looked really good. And if he wouldn't have crashed at Liege, he was one of my favorites for that race. Um, he, he looks very strong. Is he going to be a Grand Tour rider ever again? I would say he never was a Grand Tour contender. Sure, he got second at the Tour de France, but those were weird times. And he was like six minutes behind Chris Froome. He was never going to win that race. So, um, I think it was like a mistake to ever characterize him or put the expectations that he was a Grand Tour rider on him. He's a fantastic stage hunter. Tour of the Alps was a five-stage race through the mountains with no time trials. That's not really indicative of many other stage races. So big win for him. He looked very strong. Uh, Michael Storr was second. That's also a great ride for Michael Storr. And we saw at the, at the Vuelta last year, the guy is like a, he's a very strong rider. Um, is he ever going to win a Grand Tour? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But then a third place really interest, interested in me. Simon armison on DSM. I had never really heard of this guy. This guy was so strong. The final climb on stage five, um, Richie Port from Ennios actually blew it up. His teammate, Pavel Sivikov, was dropped almost immediately and Port just kept going. I have no idea what he was doing. He gets halfway up the climb, looks back, and is like, oh, my, oh, he's not here. Well, Richie had been looking back for like kilometers before that, not stopping. So I think something got said over the race radio, the team radio, that made him sit up. But that, Really, it was a super selective attack or super selective climb. Pillow Bilbao, who was reading, leading the race going into it, was dropped. And Thymon's there with Store and Bardet. So super, super impressive from him. He is a 22-year-old Dutch rider. This is his second year on DSM. So kind of an interesting subplot there is all three riders at the front of the race were DSM riders last year, teammates last year. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I was super impressed by that. Um, definitely someone to keep an eye on. But I mean, to my point, this was like more of a, like an interesting race for the future than actually an interesting event in itself. Thibaut Pino won the final stage. It was huge. People were freaking out. His first win in like three years. Um, Obviously, he's an interesting man and is like very quirky, very fun, probably a great person, which is why people love him. I I don't want to crap on all of that, but what stuck out out to me is just how unarrow he is. I, I could not believe it. Um, it really was like, it was a sign of just how much the sport has changed in the last five years, you know, oddly as, you know, not oddly, but as Pino has like faded from the front of races, the sport has just gotten so much more arrow and, and so much scientific people really think about like, you know, I'm putting out all this effort. Is there something I can, and is there an easy win I can get? Is there low hanging fruit? FDJ, his team has not done that. I mean, he, he looks as on arrow as you can be on a bike. Um, and it didn't stick out to me as much, you know, early in his career because there was a lot of people on arrow and road bikes. There's not a lot anymore. And and he lost stage four. He got pulled in by Miguel Ángel Lopez, probably specifically because he was so on Aero. Um, he, he just got mowed down in the last 5K and he was probably he's putting out a ton of effort. And no one on that team is thinking strategically of, you know, why do we keep getting caught in the last kilometers of races i mean that team like people love mark matteo like he's a he's a passionate frenchman he loves cycling he loves france easy person to be seduced by he's a meathead i mean it's a meathead team it's you don't recognize it because it's foreign and it looks romantic and fun But it's just like ride hard oh if you're tired ride harder that's like american football meathead culture (laughs) they're not doing the everything they can to get the most out of their riders um it's interesting that Michael Storr went there from, F, from TSM, which is like the complete opposite of that. But, you know, I think the riders who do well at FTJ are the riders that maybe don't speak French or insulate themselves from that culture. I don't think that's a mistake either. So great for Pino, but it was just, I mean, the man is a, a one man stand against the Aero Revolution, that's for sure. And it was just, it, it, it really stuck out to me how much the sport has evolved during Pino's career and how he's really stood tall against that evolution and refused to change. Lopez won stage four, looked great. I will say it's odd to me that neither Pino nor him were even in, they were minutes behind in the GC. Both dropped on stage two. You'd think a five-day stage race to the mountains would be their specialty. If they can't win, if Lopez can't win this, what can he win as a stage race? And I know he came onto the scene, you know, people loved him early in his career because he was getting podiums at Grand Tours, but He's won two state, world tour stage races in his career and not one since 2019 was the last one. So for those sitting around waiting for him to like finally blossom and win the Giro d'Italia or the Vuelta España, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, if he can't win the Tour of the Alps, that's not a great sign. And then the Tour de Romandie is this week. Um, the prologue was yesterday. Ethan Hader gets first. The guy is an uh, amazing time trialist. He's incredible. The 23-year-old on Ineos. Rowan Dennis gets second. Philips graub Schata. And Garrett Thomas tied for third, nine seconds back. If you if I guess if you just forget Felix and think Hater first, Dennis second, Thomas third, that's Ineos 2021 and in one, two, three position, which shows just how strong they were last year and why they were winning all of these one-week stage races. Weird thing here is like Hater is very good. Obviously, very good time trust. He's a very good climber too. Terrible, terrible stage racer. I mean, as I record this, stage one just finished, and Hater is out of the race league after one stage in the Stage wasn't particularly hard. So, yeah, I, I don't know. He's been like held up as like the next great stage racer for that team, but I don't know what's going on there. Like, why he can't piece that together? He did win the Tour of Norway last year, but other than that, he doesn't have any stage race wins in his pro career. Um, Rowan Dennis gets second. He's now the race lead after the stage one, which was won by Dylan Toons, who is absolutely on fire and furthers my theory that Bahrain just should have ridden to get him up Labrador as fast as possible and tried to counter any coming Ebenapol attack. I mean, that guy could have won. He could, he could have won Liege. So yeah, really impressive from Toons to win that. He's really kind of blossomed. I called him a journeyman after he won Flesh alone and someone kind of called me out on it. And now I feel bad because it's like, wow, this guy is super talented. Um, he hasn't won a ton in his career. He, before Flesh uh, last Wednesday, he had 13 wins. I guess now he has 15. He's, he's, he's better than... But then that one count, um, Rowan Dennis and Mark Rowan Dennis gets second on the stage. Mark Hershey, third Hershey is really, really, really recovered from, he had a hip surgery. I believe in the off season, um, just started racing a few weeks ago. He's been amazing since he came back. I know there was like a lot of doping, his, his, basically his old team called him out for doping and fired him like two days into the 2020 season. You know, they did this all anonymously. In my opinion, if that's true, then you need to report it you're not taking the moral high ground you think you are by not reporting that it does it's not clear to me why they think they're the good guys if he really is doping and they think it just to keep that to themselves but setting that aside you know he's had a lot of hell he had like his you know, weird wisdom teeth removal at the beginning of 2021 i didn't know i don't know why they didn't schedule that differently but he struggled pretty much the whole year until the very end because of it had a hip surgery this offseason so after his breakout 2020 season he hasn't really had a clean run at a lot of races but since he's come back this year he's finished top 10 pretty much in every race he's done super impressive he gets you know and the thing that stands up top 10 at amstel gold ninth at amstel gold ninth at liege <laughs> it's really impressive pair of results and then third today so um it's nice to see hershey back rowan dennis is now leading the race overall um rowan dennis looked strong uh for a lot of this race last year and then crashed so it, it's funny as the other top time trialists have. You know, if you think of like Filippo Ogana or Stefan Kuhn have picked up the classics and really become like picked up second careers, basically out of time trialing. Rowan Dennis hasn't been able to do that. You know, there was a lot of grumblings. You know, it's like We saw the same story every year for like 10 years. It is was like, Rowan Dennis is going to be a GC rider and it never happened. He's, he's won the Santos Tour Down Under in 2015 as his sole world tour GC win um that was a long time ago so he's definitely never come along as a gc rider so this would be a big win for him if he could stick it history would suggest that's not gonna happen um someone i'm really watching here is garrett thomas in third place overall he he had this kind of drawn out contract negotiation over the off season wasn't covered too much but apparently the sticking point in that contract was if he would get a chance to lead the team ever again The team wanted him to come back just in a domestique role. There was a lot of friction last year where he was, you know, I guess thought he was like a leader at the Tour de France and he was not a leader at the Tour de France, didn't really work for the team, tried to leave the tour after he thought of contention. The team wasn't happy about that. Obviously, he's supposed to be there working for the team. They're paying him a ton of money to do so. So the, you know, I think the, the agreement was he would come back this year, but he wouldn't get any chance to lead races. So winning here would be big for him. Just in his standing inside the team. And it would kind of it would kind of resur- like, you know, resurface this like Garrett Thomas could lead us at the Tour de France again. You know, I don't think that's a good idea, but it could definitely it could definitely happen. You know, he's 35, he's gonna be 36 when the tour starts. He hasn't won a major race in a long time. It's definitely not a good idea, but the narrative could start rolling if he can win this race. So I'm sure he's motivated. He won it last year quite easily. He hasn't looked as good this year. Um, probably because he's about to be 36 other people to watch are Juan Ayuso in sixth overall he's like the wonder boy on UAE people love him (laughs) he is like a twitter hero try to criticize him people will come after you he I've not you know he's very talented but he's a 19 year old doesn't seem that good at actually racing and winning so I'll be curious to see what he can do over the course of this race all right well I will uh, be talking about how this race actually wraps up next week so enjoy your little break before the Giro d'Italia and everything gets real next week, you know, next week. So thanks for listening and have a great week. Bye.